got a theme song. There it is. Welcome back to the Around the Show Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Showalter, and man, this this sports season is flying by in a way that I really don't remember it ever going. You know, it's going by quick. We're already in week six of the NFL season, going into week seven. Uh, baseball playoffs are in full swing. The NBA season starts next week. It's just this is a great time of the year to be a sports fan and uh, to do to do this really. So this is a really exciting time for me, but. I think it's a less exciting time for one NFL coach in particular, or should I say a former NFL coach. So Jay Gruden was fired this past week by the professional football team in Washington. The final straw being that 33-7 loss to the Patriots, after which he was asked to report to the practice facility at 5 a.m. the next morning to be fired in the midst of his sixth season with the team. Now, I understand. John, Jay Gruden did not win enough to keep his job. He was 35-49-1 as I look at his record. But, you know, he he didn't have much luck if you look back these last couple years either. Washington's finished with 20-plus players on the IR each of the last two seasons. And I don't know if any of you guys, you know, are looking back, but they were 6-3 and three last season when Alex Smith broke his leg. So... You know, you lose your starting quarterback, you're 6-3, of course the season's going to fall apart. If, if we go back and look at his tenure with, the, with Washington, what do we see? We see with losing a potential franchise cornerstone in RG3, who after his unbelievable rookie season, he tore his ACL and was never the same. And now this past year, he was handled a rookie quarterback in Dwayne Haskins that he didn't want, according to reports. And, you know, there's a couple unlucky things in there. You've dealt with a lot of injuries, lost a potential franchise quarterback, guy given a quarterback you don't necessarily want. But at the peak of the lack of luck for Jay Gruden is that he had to work for Dan Snyder. Gruden's five-and-a-half-year tenure with Washington is the longest of any coach in Snyder's 20 years as the owner. And in those 20 years, Washington's finished over 500 just six times. They've won 10 games three times. And if you look at who else was Jay Gruden's boss, Bruce Allen, the, the president of the team, hasn't done anything in his tenure either. The teams he's built have went 59-89-1 in his 10 years. So maybe, just maybe, this isn't all on Jay Gruden. Maybe it's on the injuries to just about every offensive play major, playmaker at the coach's disposal. You know, maybe it's a team president who's shown no ability to do his job well in the last 10 years. Most likely, though, what I'm putting my money on, it's on the meddling owner who has never and will never stay away long enough to let this franchise succeed. And to whomever is unlucky enough to get this job this next summer, I sincerely, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I wish you the best of luck. Because you are walking into a situation where there is no winner. And now I kind of want to keep this this football train going. You know, week seven's coming up. We got some big games this weekend. Philly against Dallas on Sunday Night Football is going to be a big game. And I talked uh, on the last pod about a former Eagles quarterback, Nick Foles, and his quarterback battle with Gardner Minshew. 
And now there's a new conversation that everyone seems to be jumping on when it comes to replacing a franchise quarterback with an unproven backup. And this time it's Cam Newton against Kyle Allen. Now let's draw some comparisons between these two in terms of Foles versus Minshew and Cam versus Kyle Allen. So Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP. He beat Tom Brady. He has a seven-touchdown game in his career. He's proven himself time and time again that he's a starting quarterback in this league. And Gardner Minshew has looked impressive and is new in a fun new toy. Like I said last week, he's the shiny new object and all the Jaguars fans are attracted to it. So let's examine the Panthers, the Panthers situation here. Cam Newton has won an MVP. He led this team to a 15-1 record in 2015. He already has the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback ever in the history of the NFL. And he's the only player ever with a 30 passing touchdown and 10 rushing touchdown season. Now, Kyle Allen's resume is a lot shorter than that. He's thrown for 225 yards per game and averaged 5.4 air yards on his completions. Now, for reference, Gardner Minshew averages 6.1 air yards per completion. So, my question to those that want the Panthers to trade or cut Cam Newton in favor of Kyle Allen is, have you watched any of these football games? Because the game plan this year has been very simple when Kyle Allen is under center. It's give the ball to Christian McCaffrey three out of every four plays, whether it's through the air or on the ground. So now with that in your mind, if you have watched these games and you're thinking, you know, Kyle Allen is the guy, they should be going with him, let Cam Newton go. Think of those games that you watched. Think back to all the times you've seen Kyle Allen, you know, drop back, take a seven-step drop, and just unleash a deep ball downfield to DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel. If you can't recall that happening, it's because that's not what they do with Kyle Allen under center. They dump it off to Christian McCaffrey almost every play. In, in terms of pass plays, of course. And in his four starts this season, when throwing to Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Allen has completed 23 of his 27 passes. That's good for an 85% completion percentage, and those 23 completions have went for 203 yards and two touchdowns. Now to everyone else, and he has a solid group of receivers there. DJ Moore is no slouch. Curtis Samuel can play a little bit. He's got Greg Olson as well. To everyone else, he's 57 for 95, which is 60%. That's respectable for 693 yards and five touchdowns. And now I want to tell you something, and... I couldn't believe this when I read it. I had to go and check multiple sources. I checked next-gen stats on ESPN. I checked football outsiders. I checked Fox Sports. You know, they keep really good track of stats there. This is a real stat from a real NFL game, from a real NFL player. Of those 208 yards to Christian McCaffrey, 206 are after the catch. 206. He's averaging only two air yards per catch, meaning he's catching the ball either at or behind the line of scrimmage constantly. These are prototypical dump-off passes. This is a dink-and-dunk offense to the extreme. So when he's not throwing to Christian McCaffrey, you know, who's gotten Allen almost a third of his yards by himself after the catch, he averages 173 passing yards per game. Is that who you want to bench Cam Newton for? You know, Superman? And I, I understand. Cam Newton was bad last year. Sure. But 
did we forget that he needed shoulder surgery this offseason? And all the reports that he looked great in camp this year? You know, if if you want to move on from Cam Newton, fine. I can understand that. He's been hurt. You know, he's he has a reputation around the league that I don't think he deserves. If you're going to move on, do it for a premier talent, please. What what has Kyle Allen showed you to make you think he makes this team better than Cam Newton does in the short or the long term? Because from watching the games, I I don't see it. Kyle Allen could be a fine quarterback in this league. He's not Cam Newton. Not a lot of guys are Cam Newton. All-time rushing touchdown leader for quarterbacks. Only guy ever with a 30 passing touchdown and 10 rushing touchdown season. Cam Newton is special. Don't replace him just because the kid's having a hot streak. And, you know, this is kind of a microcosm for NFL fandom as a whole. You know, NFL fans, myself included, you know, we love to overreact to things. We love to see small sample sizes and, you know, go out on a limb and throw out a hot take. And I heard one about a certain wide receiver in Arizona that has certainly piqued my interest. His name's Larry Fitzgerald. I'm sure you've heard of him, and he's always puzzled me. He's remained productive late in his career, you know, these last couple years, despite not having any semblance of the speed he once had. I mean, he even jokes about how slow he is now, and that's something many aging receivers struggle with is they lose that top-end speed and they can't get open because, you know, they never ran the most crisp routes. They never worked hard enough in practice to develop a, you know, a rapport with the quarterback other than, hey, I'm just going to get open with pure athleticism and then throw me the ball. Larry Fitzgerald is not that guy. And, you know, I believe he gives Chris Carter a run for his money for having the best hands in the history of the league. This dude has more career tackles than drops. 37 tackles, 29 drops. He is the staple for consistency, not only at the wide receiver position, for, but I think for all of football. And three weeks ago, he passed Tony Gonzalez to move to second all-time on the receptions list, and a certain Jerry Rice took notice. And this is that hot take I was talking about. He said that Larry Fitzgerald is the second greatest receiver to ever play football. And I'm here to say, slow down, big fella. Because my eyes tell me that the race between the best two wide receivers is clear. And it doesn't include Fitz. It's Jerry Rice and it's Randy Moss. Now let's walk through Randy Moss's career. In his six full seasons in Minnesota, he played with a quarterback named Dante Culpepper, who was a very good NFL quarterback, but not a great one. In those six full seasons, he led the league in touchdowns three times. And then, he overstayed his welcome, he was a diva receiver, and he got moved on to Oakland. He played there for two years, and they were a complete dumpster fire of an organization, and Randy Moss looked like he had no future in the NFL. And then... He went to New England, and he had a great quarterback for the first time, and he had a great coach for the first time, and he had a great structure around him for the first time. So, you might ask, what did he do in his first full season with the support system? He only broke the single-season touchdown record and caught 23 touchdowns 
by Tom Brady in his 50 touchdown season. And then he went on, you know, in his three years in New England to catch 47 touchdowns, which is the most in a three-year stretch in the history of the NFL. No big deal. Now, here's the kicker. And this is why I think people forget about Randy Moss. Jerry Rice put up video game numbers early in his career. By 30 years old, it was clear that he was starting to decline. Slowly but surely. Randy Moss caught 23 touchdown passes at 30 years old. Now think think about that. Jerry Rice had Joe Montana throwing passes to him his entire career. He was coached by Bill Walsh his entire career. Randy Moss had three seasons with that kind of a structure. Most touchdown passes in three-year stretch in the history of the NFL. Keep that in your head. The hierarchy for all-time receivers is very clear. Jerry Rice and Randy Moss are the clear 1A and 1B. A distant third is Terrell Owens. And then a pretty wide gap. And you know, I think that's where you can make a case for Larry Fitzgerald. He's an all-time great, but he's not Jerry Rice. And he is not Randy Moss. And I said at the beginning of the show, you know, postseason baseball is here. Shout out to the Washington Nationals, their first World Series since 1933, back when they were the Washington Senators. Super happy for their fan base, you know, long-suffering. They lost their best player. And, you know, it's great to see a team pull through and, you know, get over that hump. They haven't been able to get to the division series since they moved to Washington, and it's great to see that. And when we talk about teams that can't get over that hump, Dodgers fans, I know I'm an Angel fan, and if you know me personally, I probably haven't been too kind to you about your team, but I want you to know, I truly feel for you. They've won the division seven years in a row and lost the World Series both of the last two years before being eliminated in Game 5 of the NLDS this season after winning a franchise record 106 games. You know, this felt like the year with all the comeback wins and the walk-offs and Cody Bellinger probably winning the MVP this year. Walker Bueller emerging as a legitimate Cy Young candidate in the future. This team from 1 to 25, so unbelievably strong. And they had all this success. And for some reason, they just can't win the big one. You know, it's shades of Buffalo losing four Super Bowls in a row. We're getting to that point with them. They're so dominant and so great, they just can't finish. And even more shades of Buffalo, they have their own Kelly this year. You know, the Buffalo Bills at Jim Kelly, the Los Angeles Dodgers have Joe Kelly, who shuts them down in the World Series last year for the Red Sox. So they go out and sign him. And he ends up giving up the game-winning Grand Slam, the go-ahead Grand Slam, to Howie Kendrick in Game 5 of the NLDS to send him home. And this is after Clayton Kershaw, probably the best pitcher in franchise history, one of the three best left-handed pitchers in the history of the game, was brought in with a 3-1 lead in the eighth inning and gave up back-to-back home runs on back-to-back pitches to Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Both of these guys were inexplicably brought in before Kenley Jansen. Now, there are question marks for this team in both the front office and on the coaching staff. Dave Roberts has made mistakes in the playoffs repeatedly these last couple of years. 
a lot of Dodgers fans feel like he's cost them the last three World Series. Andrew Friedman, president of of baseball operations, doesn't have a contract for the 2020 seasons. 2020 season, excuse me, but most believe he'll be back. The question mark lies with Dave Roberts. He should be on the hot seat with the expectations placed on this team and his constant inability to manage the bullpen, which, let's be honest, is the one job of an MLB manager at this point with analytics in the front office telling everyone what to do. He should absolutely be on the hot seat for his inability to manage the bullpen. It's his one job. This team is incredibly talented, but there might be some major shakeups coming. And I'll tell you what. Things are going to get interesting in L.A. And speaking of interesting, now that we're six weeks into the NFL season, you know, we're finally starting to figure out what a lot of these teams are. So we're going to play a little bit of a game called buy, sell, hold, where, you know, you're buying stock in a team, you're selling your stock in a team, or you're holding on to your stock in a team based on whether or not they're Super Bowl contenders. And we're going to go division by division, conference by conference, And figure out where all these teams lie. We're going to start in the AFC East with the New England Patriots. And you'd be a fool to not buy. You got TB12. You got Bill Belichick. You got a defense that's allowing eight points per game. You're going to have home field advantage. You know, the AFC is going to go through Gillette Stadium. And, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, they're struggling on offense. They can't score. Tom Brady looks like a shell of himself these last three weeks. Their O-line is in shambles. Tom Brady's throwing undrafted white dudes on the outside. Like, this this offense is not what it was at the start of the season where they looked like absolute world beaters. Don't forget they put up 30-plus on Pittsburgh, who looks like a pretty dang good defense these last couple weeks. No problem week one. So when they're healthy, they're going to be just fine. Staying in the AFC East, we have the Buffalo Bills, and... You know, when I went out to do this list, I was not expecting to say this, but I'm buying Buffalo. That defense is real. Football Outsiders has a metric called DVOA, which stands for Defensive Adjusted Value Over Average, which factors in opponent, situation, you know, the whole nine. A a third and three four-yard rush is worth more in that situation than a a four-yard rush and a a second and ten. You know, it factors in the defense you're playing where you are, if you're home or away, every, everything about the football game. Buffalo's defense ranks third in the NFL behind New England and San Francisco, who we've seen to be pretty dang good football teams. And as long as Josh Allen doesn't screw this up and turn the ball over, you know, this team might seriously be able to win. And I'm not talking like, you know, a 10-6 and six season. I'm talking winning playoff games in the AFC. You know, they can they can run the ball. Josh Allen has flashed times flashed at times through the air. He's he's ran the ball. We've all seen that. And this defense is scary. I I'd put him right up there with Chicago, New England, and San Francisco as the best defenses in the NFL top four, no question. So I'm I'm buying Buffalo. Now moving on to the AFC North, there's really only one team. The the Baltimore Ravens, you know, I'm I'm selling. The defense just isn't at the level it needs to be yet. Lamar has played well at times, and, you know, I like the direction the franchise is going, building around Lamar, building around his strengths. You know, we're going to run the ball down your throat, and then we're going to try to take the top off of you with Marquise Hollywood Brown and 
these and then dump it off to Mark Andrews if no one's open. Lamar is going to scramble, run around. We're going to do some design runs. I really like the direction they're going. I just think they're a year or two away. I don't see it. I don't see Lamar being able to go into New England and and win a playoff game. I just I don't think he's at that level. I don't think this defense is at that level. But they're close. Now in the AFC South, the Houston Texans, B-U-Y, buy. Give me all of Deshaun Watson. Give me all of the stock in the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson might be a top five quarterback in this league. And he probably isn't five, and he probably isn't four. I'm going to think of two quarterbacks off the top of my head that have outplayed this dude this year. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Someone tell me somebody else. This team is efficient running the ball with Carlos Hyde. And then on the outside, they have DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, and Kiki Cootie. That is terrifying for opposing offense, for opposing defenses. And not to mention, Laramie Tunsil, who came over with Kenny Stills in that trade with Miami, he has made a world of difference for this team. That offensive line suddenly looks like they have a clue, and for the first time in his career, Deshaun Watson has time to throw, and it is scary as a fan of another team. The defense worries me a little bit. You know, they're a little shaky, but I'm all in on Deshaun Watson. Give me all the Texans stock. Staying in the AFC South, we have the Colts, who... This was tough for me, but I'm selling my, my Colts stock. You know, they're a solid team. I just don't think they're Super Bowl solid. They got a leaky defense, that same stat DVOA. They rank 28th. I just think they're another team that needs a year or two, but Jacoby Brissett has impressed me. And with the sudden retirement of Andrew Luck, what this team has had to overcome, you know, coming right before training camp or even in training camp, they've been good. And I I think that, you know, they might be a playoff team, but I don't think they're a serious Super Bowl contender this year. Now moving on to the end of the AFC, we have the AFC West with really only one team, Kansas City Chiefs, bye. No question. Not worried about them at all. Same thing with the Patriots. They're banged up. They're just getting Tyree Kill back. Sammy Watkins is out. Mahomes has an ankle injury. This team's going to be fine. This offense is too good. Andy Reid is too good. The defense is leaky. They can't run the ball. Andy Reid's never really been able to put a rushing attack together, but with him and Mahomes and a healthy wide receiving core, no question. This team's a contender. This team could win the Super Bowl this year and the next five years. Heading over to the NFC East, you know, there's really two teams. It's, it's a very tight division. All three teams are separated by two games. But we all know there's two teams in the NFC East this year. It's the Eagles and the Cowboys. And when it comes to the Eagles, I'm buying. Call me a homer. But the injury bug is just killing the Eagles again this year. It's been awful to watch the last couple seasons. Deshaun Jackson hasn't played since week one with an abdominal injury. Alshon Jeffrey still looks banged up with his calf. Jason Peters missed last week's game and hasn't practiced yet this week. And let's be honest, the corners that the Eagles are trotting out there, my goodness. They're basically trotting out a college secondary at this point, minus the safeties. I, I just think, I think health is all this is, though, with the Eagles. They're, they've looked, they look so solid in the second half of week one when they had everybody. When Deshaun, when Deshaun Jackson was able to take the top off the defense and they were able to find things underneath with Zach Ertz, go down the sideline with Alshon, you know, run the ball with Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, who's improving as well. He looked really bad the first couple weeks, but he's getting better. 
you know, I feel like this team is heading in the right direction at the very least. Sunday's a must-win game. And as I say the Eagles are heading in the right direction, I can't say the Cowboys are. Which is why I'm going to hold my Cowboys stock. And I'm only saying hold because I think if they lose Sunday, they're not making the playoffs. After going 3-0, they'll be 3-4. and Locker room's going to start to splinter. They have a really tough schedule coming up. And I think that question is going to start creeping into Cowboys fans' heads. Is Dak going to get franchise quarterback money or good starting quarterback money? Because I'm starting to worry, Jerry Jones. Don't blow this. Don't give him Russell Wilson money. He's not worth that. You know, give him 28. Don't give him 35. If they win, buy the Cowboys. If they lose, sell. Just too early to tell for me. Now for the NFC North, you know, this is an incredibly competitive division and all four teams, really, you can make a decision on. The Packers, I'm buying. This might be the best team in the NFL. You know, Aaron Rodgers finally looks good again. They can finally run the ball. And my word, Green Bay, rejoice. Aaron Rodgers finally has a defense again. This has happened once in his career. You know what he did? He won a Super Bowl. The NFL needs to be on red alert because this team's coming. The Minnesota Vikings, I'm holding. You know, I think we got to see how this Kirk Cousins thing plays out. I know he threw the three touchdown passes to Stephon Diggs last week. But until he starts beating over teams over 500 consistently, I'm holding. I'm keeping my chips, man. I'm not, I'm not going. I'm not falling for this. The Chicago Bears, sell. No question. Not even a hesitation. Mitch Trubisky's not the answer. And it's a shame because that defense is unbelievable. Outside the quarterback, there's a Super Bowl roster. They just don't have the offensive firepower to compete with the other teams in the league. It's it's that simple. Defense can only get you so far. You got to score. And then the Detroit Lions, you know, I I, I got to sell. I got to sell. Matt Stafford looks good. You know, he looks good in this new offensive system with their new OC firing the ball deep downfield, but they can't run the ball. Carry on Johnson hasn't been good this year. Their defense... You know, bend but don't break, but the offense is bend but don't break. They can't get in the end zone. They're awful in the red zone. They got to settle for field goals, and it cost them the game against Green Bay this past week. I don't know. I'm just not a believer right now. Moving on to the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints. I got to buy here, you know. I think if Drew Brees wasn't coming back, I'd be gone. I've heard a lot of the praise for Teddy, but his numbers haven't really jumped out at me. He's a solid solid quarterback, but he's not a Super Bowl quarterback. This defense is good enough to give Drew Brees the support he needs to win a Super Bowl. Not Teddy Bridgewater, but Drew Brees is coming back, so I'm buying him. The Carolina Panthers, you know, this is a hold, and it's for the reasons I said earlier. If they give Cam Newton the job back, I'm buying. If they give Kyle Allen the job, I'm selling. Again, for the reasons I said earlier. The San Francisco 49ers out in the NFC West, you got to buy. This team is good. I said three weeks ago, I think it was on the pod, two, three weeks ago when I was talking about the Rams. I said San Francisco's not a real threat. They're 3-0, but 
they don't look as good as a, a 3-0 and team what you would expect them to. Big wrong. That was a... That was not my best moment because this team is for real. This defense is for real. Second in DVOA. That secondary that had two interceptions all year last season. Two interceptions all year for this defense. They got seven in five games. The question lies with Jimmy G. You know, he's turning the ball over a little too much. Five picks in five games. So only, I think it was seven touchdowns. He's looked good, but you know, you got to stop turning the ball over with this kind of a defense. Score 17 points, you're going to win the football game, man. If they can get this offense back on track, and I know I know Kyle Shanahan's not going to have any problem with that, this team's scary. This is a Super Bowl team, bye. The Seattle Seahawks, got to buy. Russell Wilson's the front runner for the MVP, are you kidding me? Chris Carson looks unbelievable. The offensive line finally looks like it knows what it's doing in front of Russell Wilson, so he's not running for his life. The only issue is the defense can't generate a pass rush. You know, they only had 10 sacks in six games, which is incredibly surprising with the guys on their defensive line, mainly Jadavion Clowney, who they traded for this offseason. They're only pressuring the quarterback on 23.3% of their dropbacks, which is 25th in the NFL. You know, that that has to improve, but I'm not worried. You know, Pete Carroll's a great defensive coach. They're going to be fine. And the Rams, you know, have covered this. I'm out. I'm selling. Said it before, without an explosive Todd Gurley, this team's going nowhere. Jared Goff threw for 78 yards against San Francisco. 78 yards. He's done seven picks in six games. The defense is bad. And I'm sure all Rams fans are sitting there thinking right now, we got Jalen Ramsey now, it's all going to be okay. We'll see, because it looks like it's going to take a lot more than Jalen Ramsey to help you guys out. You know, that's buy, sell, hold. And uh, before we get to the story of the show, I want to remind everybody to follow our Twitter account at Around the Show Sports SP and check out the website at www.aroundtheshowsports.com. And with that, you know, this story of the show, it's, it's more serious than a lot of the ones that I'm going to do on this. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think we take for granted. It's been two weeks since Mason Rudolph got knocked out by Earl Thomas in the Steelers-Ravens game. And we watched him quote-unquote walk off the field. But his legs weren't quite working how they're supposed to if you looked. And he, he didn't even look like he was there. You know, his body was there, but it looked like there was nothing behind his eyes. As if he wasn't even, you know, in his own head. Football is not a normal sport. You know, football players strap up their chin straps and... They, quote, go to war, as they would like you to believe, in the ultimate team game. But really what they're doing is they're playing Russian roulette with their brains. These NFL players you see, they're taking a gamble every time they step on the field with their lives. And, you know, the big hits, they used to be awesome. I I remember jacked up, I'm sure all of you do too, when... You know, these hits would be celebrated and Tom Jackson would go, you just got, and everyone else would say, jacked up. It was amazing. But now when you see the hits that would have been on jacked up and you would have been cheering for 10 years ago, you don't feel that anymore. You know, instead of excitement for the player that made the huge hit, all I can think about is, I hope that guy's okay. He looks like he's hurt. Is he going to get up? 
And this is why I have such a tough time when I hear people say that football is soft now. Now, I just want to know, what do you mean when you say football is soft? Do you not like that the NFL is finally trying to keep its players healthy? Trying to keep them from having crippling brain damage later in their lives? In simpler terms, just trying to keep them alive. Seriously, I I don't understand. You know, maybe you don't get to see those skull-cracking hits 10 times every Sunday. Oh well. I challenge every one of you that tries to mock the NFL for the rules that they've put in place to watch the 30 for 30 about Junior Seau because it broke my heart. He went from being a loving husband and a father who was almost too full of life for his own good to an absentee husband and an abusive dad. And he eventually committed suicide, shooting himself in the heart so that his brain would be available for the studies he had heard about a new disease called CTE. And that is something that's lodged, CTE being, in every football fan's brain. We know that to be chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The brain disease that football players get when they receive too many head injuries. And he was one of the first players to ever test positive. He went from being a happy man to a depressed man to a suicidal man because of football. And that's what these helmet-to-helmet hits that we see do to people. And what these normal tackles that we see, that's what they do to people. We see these guys as objects, you know, like trophies that run around just for our entertainment, nothing more. These men are sons, brothers, husbands, fathers even. It's so much more than football. And every hit you see, big or small, it has lasting effects. Don't forget that come Sunday.